doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back, my friends. I am your host, Eric Salagi. I apologize for my voice. I have been a bit under the weather for the past week and a couple of days. This thing just does not seem to want to let go, and it has hit my voice very hard. So, bear with me. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show... Please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Those are the main ways you can help in getting the show out in front of more people. And with that, the more people listening means more great guests coming forward with their experiences like tonight's guest. Just a heads up to any of you who may be attending this year's Ohio Bigfoot Conference during the weekend of May 6th. Keep an eye out for our booth as I will be there in support of the show again. Stop by and say hi. Maybe you pick up some merch. Maybe you don't. Just make sure you come over, say hi, let me know where you're from and how you've heard of me. If you haven't already... Make sure to pick up the link in our Uncomfortable Discord server. You can find that in the show notes. You've heard me mention this earlier. The Uncomfortable Patreon will be launching next month. Many of you have asked how to help support the show, and Patreon looks like the best way that I can provide you with a way to do that. It will also be the only place that you can find Uncomfortable Afterthoughts, which will be a video companion to the weekly show. An announcement regarding this year's Bigfoot and Brews is not far off. It will again be held at Sister Lakes Brewing Company, most likely September 9th. I think that date is safe to say it is locked in. I'm shoring up a few loose ends and should be making the official announcement shortly. 
Tickets for this event will go quickly, so please don't hesitate to get yours. Seating will be limited, and we will again be looking forward to having many wonderful vendors and a day filled with awesome speakers. So if you're interested in being a vendor for Bigfoot and Brews, please reach out to me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com, and I will get you information that you need. Tonight's guest is a very well-educated gentleman holding two masters. He is an author of Haunting Illinois, Paranormal Illinois, Six Tales of Terror, Tales of Coles County, and Witchcraft in Illinois. He recently directed a documentary called Tinker's Shadow, The Hidden History of Tinker's Swiss Cottage. He's had several articles appear in publications like Historic Illinois and in the Journal of Illinois State Historical Society. He's also published several short stories appearing in various anthologies. His short story, Co-Ed Terror and the Ivory Tower of Doom, was adapted into a short film in 2011, which won Best Actor in the Chicago Horror Film Festival. His latest effort is Secret Virginia, a multifaceted exploration of Virginia folklore and ghost stories. So, if you're ready, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Mr. Michael Clean. Michael, welcome to Uncomfortable. Oh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate being here with us, sir. Uh, Interestingly enough, Michael comes to me as a suggestion uh, by way of a previous guest and a longtime listener of the show. Um, so long, in fact, that uh, she had left me one of my very first reviews on Apple Podcast. Um, it's, a, it's a long story. If you've been following the show for, for the last two years, you probably know the story behind that. Um, but I do owe tonight's guest uh, the, the chance to get to talk with him. I owe that to uh, Miss Emily. So, Emily, thank you for that. Uh, Michael, um, God, man, you've got, uh, you've got quite the, the resume author, um, of a number of books. Um, I saw the, uh, I saw the, the tales of HP Lovecraft thrown in there. I, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, but you primarily write about the, uh, legends, lore, paranormal stuff of, uh, throughout throughout Illinois and, and now Virginia. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I moved to Virginia several years ago and sort of took my interest in folklore and ghost stories and decided to start something new in here in Virginia. So I created, um, it's called Secret Virginia. It's kind of an experiment for me. It's mainly on social media Instagram, Facebook, Uh, I post a lot of photography, we go around visiting haunted places, mysterious places, and I take photos of them and post them on Instagram, 
uh, do a limited podcast in the fall where we just do uh, a run of about nine episodes on different haunted places around Virginia. Oh, very uh, interesting. What's the name of that? It's called Secret Virginia. Okay. And yeah, you can find it on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, all over the place, uh, iTunes, um, that kind of thing. But before that, um, I did a lot of work in Illinois. Uh, I'm from Illinois originally. And in my uh, younger days, back in my early 20s, um, I was quite well known for uh, writing about the legends and lore of Illinois. Uh, I had a small publishing business where I published books about um, ghost lore and paranormal stuff around the Midwest. Uh, not just my own books, but um, some others as well. And that kind of, you know, I, I joined the Army in my early 30s and left Illinois, went to New York. I was stationed there for a number of years. So that kind of, that interest kind of fell by the wayside. Um, although I did, I did visit and write about some New York haunts on my website. Um, but yeah, I used to do a lot of paranormal conferences. I used to do a lot of speaking engagements. Um, I'd write about Illinois history. And that was my, my main focus when it came to uh, ghost stories and things like that is the history behind the stories. Because when I first started writing about it, I was going to Eastern Illinois University in Charleston, and that's home of one of the most famous ghost stories in Illinois, which would be uh, Mary Hawkins of Pemberton Hall. And a lot of people had heard of that story, but there wasn't a whole lot of background research done on it. And that was one of the things that I did was go through the, the newspaper archive, try to dig up information on where this story might have started. Um, there were several authors that had just, they, they'd picked up on these details that had changed over the years. Um, and it just didn't really match up with what the historical reality would have been. Uh, there's another place in Coles County called Ashmore Estates, which you may have heard of. It's been on numerous ghost shows. Yeah, it sounds very um, familiar. Yeah, uh, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures. I actually appeared on the Ghost Adventures episode um, on Ashmore Estates talking about the history of the building. Oh, did you really? But that's, that's, uh, that's another one that I took, you know... I took a place that was in the local imagination, but nobody really knew much about its history. And I dug all that stuff up and, and wrote about it extensively. Um, so that kind of is where I got my start in that area. That's, that's around East Central Illinois. Um, but I've been interested in this subject pretty much my entire life. Let me, let me jump in here real quick. Um, having been on an episode of ghost adventures um there's <laughs> not to dig up any dirt or anything but it, it's funny that you bring that up because recently in the past two weeks there has been a lot of um a lot of stuff coming out about zach baggins and yes uh I, i'm just curious um 
a long time ago, I was reached out to by Keith Linder. Um, and Keith was in an episode. I think they lived in Oregon. They were having all kinds of, uh, I think, like there were burn marks on the crucifixes in their house. There was a Bible that caught on fire. Um, I think they were out in Oregon. And it's one of the only episodes that Ghost Adventures, by at the end of the episodes, that they had no, um, no evidence. Um, and and Keith and his his wife at the time, I don't know if they're still together or not, but I know they took a a lot of guff. Um, they received a lot of hate for you know um, people making the assumption that they were um, hoaxing everything, and. He had another group come out, uh, two other groups come out uh, within a year of Ghost Adventures being there. And each one, uh, so Ghost Adventures spent a day and a half investigating their home. And the other two teams, the one team came and lived in the house for three weeks, I believe, and the other team came in and lived in the house for two and a half weeks. And both of those teams produced what they said was a pretty inordinate amount of evidence that that they were having uh, poltergeist activity and, and things were going on in the house. Um, all that to say, um, that's back in the news again, and there's a bunch of stuff going on with you know previous uh, people that Zach had worked with. What what was your experience with that that crew when you did that episode? I mean, was it a was was there you know anytime you have people in in the business of production they they always are looking for something that's going to get somebody to come back after commercial and you know make you want to come back next week um if you don't mind uh, just tell me how was your experience with that i'd be happy to and i've got i've got quite the story for you actually okay so i i don't really talk a lot about my experience because it, it was very limited to begin with i was only on there for like 15 seconds or something like that mm-hmm. but um they are big on demonic activity in that show yeah and they were trying to uh come out like there's all this demonic activity at ashmore states which i, I guess i should give you some background on what what that place was uh originally it was the county poor farm. Uh, every county had like a poor farm where um, indigent people would live, people that had no means of support or alcoholics, you know. They would be sentenced to live on the farm. This was before wealth, the modern welfare state. And they would live there and work there. So what became Ashmore Estates was the almshouse on the poor farm. And during the early 19th century, uh, early 20th century, rather, it was bought and became a, I hesitate to call it a hospital, but it, it housed people with developmental disabilities and things like that. Mm-hmm. It did have some overflow for psychiatric patients, so there, there was some... Um, there were some people there that were violent. Uh, I interviewed a, a local psychologist who actually told me that um, when he 
worked there in the 80s, there was a patient who he described as possessed, who had almost superhuman strength uh, that broke her restraints and, uh, and attacked him. But that was few and far between. Um, so then, then the place closed down in the late 1980s, and it sat abandoned for many years. And so naturally, uh, kids from the local college, the university where I attended, they would go out there and explore the place. I mean, they basically just left everything in there, all the files and all the furniture and everything. And so kids would go in there and scare themselves and tell stories about the place. And that's when I found it, when I first visited there and was told about it, it, that's what it was. It was just this abandoned building out in the middle of nowhere, and no one knew anything about it. The locals did, but they didn't really talk about it. So I did a lot of research on it and found out what it had been used for and all of that. So, I mean, this is just my personal experience, but I had been in there probably a dozen times when it was abandoned, when... Finally, it was bought by a man named Scott Kelly, who owned it when they did the show. Um, he he played a character. They turned it into a haunted house, and he played a character of a guy, kind of an undertaker with a top hat and stuff, and you see that in the episode, and he's really hamming it up, you know, uh, just trying to make it like an interesting experience. Yeah. But Zach really tried to claim that there was some type of demonic activity there and I never felt threatened while I was there I never felt like anything evil was there nothing like that um, so I think a lot of that was just just trying to, to make something out of nothing yeah. they, they interviewed um, a local weatherman who they made it in the show sound like he had been attacked by some type of entity. Um, and I, I talked to Scott later about it, and he was there when this allegedly happened, and the uh, the guy just had a seizure, that's all. And they, you know, the ambulance came and got him, and that was, that was it. He, the, he doesn't really think he was attacked by anything. So there's definitely a lot of theater involved. Sure. Um, that's all. That's what I can say about that. Well, and you know, like the first, the first few seasons, and you know, I'm guilty of still watching the show. Um, you know, it's great entertainment. Um, but the first couple of seasons, I was really, I was really pretty impressed with it. And um, you know, it wasn't all everything was a demon. This is a portal to hell. You know, it seemed like some some pretty legitimate um, ghost hunting that was going on. Um, but at some point, uh, you know, a couple of seasons in, they started, I'm sure, recognizing that, uh, some of the episodes that they had that seemed to have some kind of an evil, uh, overtone to it probably performed much better than just the regular stuff. And man, they latched onto that and, you know, everything is, everything's a demon now. And it's, it's remarkable how many, um, how many paranormal investigators I've talked to who are all of the almost, I mean, there, may, there might be one or two 
but the rest of them were all like, I've been doing this for 19 years. I've never once felt like I was in the presence of something evil. Yeah, there might be something that's a little ticked off or, you know, a little um, feels like kind of playing with you and being a little bit of a trickster. Um, but, you know, demonic, evil, no. So Yeah, I mean, if you, if you really want to stare into evil, go to a prison ward with psychopaths and people like that. That's... That's my personal opinion. I, I'm not saying that that evil, you know, demons don't exist in the mm -hmm. supernatural sense, but there is evil in the world, but it's in the form of, of humans, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't think that you're just going to find a demon hanging out in an old building somewhere. Maybe an old abandoned prison. Uh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I might, I might, uh, I might buy into that one, or at least some very negative spirits, um, some some negative entities. If if there's some carryover from from the people that were locked up there, well, that's interesting. I appreciate your your candor about that. Uh, it does seem to um, it does some seem to track properly with uh, a lot of the things that I've heard from other people and. Uh, especially some of the stuff that's coming out now, which, you know, I'm going to continue to watch the show because it's good entertainment and, uh, you know, everybody likes a, a little tense and scary, uh, you know, Ooh, my God, what if that was real? Um, you know, but it's a shame that it, and I find this with, you know, paranormal investigators. I find it with Bigfoot researchers, um, it, it seems like no matter what the subject you have, you have these differing camps that just seem to have to butt heads with, yeah. with everyone around them. And I don't understand why that is. Um, well, well I, controversy sells, you know, and, and some of it, I, I saw a video criticizing Zach because at his museum, they say, well, he doesn't. He doesn't own all the objects there. He actually leases some right. of them. Yeah. Well, so so what? Like, what? Why is that? Yeah. Why is that negative? My daughter and her boyfriend. Um, they just went there uh, two months ago. They they took a trip out uh, out there, and that was one of their stops. They they were like, "There's no way we're going to be out here and not go to that." Sure. And, and they said it was absolutely great they said they had an absolute ball it was not a money grab it was uh very long you know you got to spend an awful lot of time in there and uh they said it was it was extremely well done and they had a absolute ball there um so you know i mean it is what it is and you know there's always got to be somebody on the top and there's got to be people always trying to climb up the sides and trying to get to the top themselves. So um, yeah, the one thing I do have to say though, in podcasting so far, my experience over a little over two years of, of having this show, I have not run into that among podcasters. Um, now that being said, I do try uh, extremely hard to make sure that 
the people I surround myself with that I would call friends or, or good acquaintances or people that I would go out on a limb for um, are all good people. So I don't know. I'm sure there are some bad ones out there. I don't know who they would be, but uh, so far my my experience in this in this line of work has been uh, been very good. So that is uh, that's a blessing. So while we're in Illinois, um, there is a reputedly haunted uh, uh, cemetery there, um, Bachelor's Grove, mm-hmm. and. You you mentioned before we started recording that you'd been there several times. Um, what what have you what have you garnered from from your experiences there? Well, talk about drama. I mean, if you want to get into paranormal drama, just mention Bachelor's Grove. But and why is that? It, it's well, it's probably the most famous haunted place in almost in the world. I would say. I mean, yeah. it's among the it's definitely among the most well-known in the world. Right. And there were a small handful of paranormal researchers in Chicago who tried to lay claim to it. Oh. And that caused a lot of consternation. So it's owned by the, the Forest Preserve and the Park District. And so they tried to... Um, Let's just say, yeah, I think I think lay claim is a good way of putting it, where they would try to claim some exclusive rights to mm-hmm. it. Um, they would hold events there, and it just got to be one of these one of these things where everybody was trying to like sabotage everybody else to keep people away from it, away from quote unquote their site that yeah. they they had. And I never really got involved in that because. I'm I'm just a writer. I kind of do things on my own, and that was one of the first haunted places that I ever tried to visit back when I was in high school. Because I I grew up in the northwestern suburbs of Chicago, and everybody's heard of Bachelors Grove. So as soon as I learned to drive, I would go down there and try to find it. And back then, there was really very limited internet and what was on the internet wasn't wasn't all that great uh, it had been written about in a couple books and it was right at the the time when people started to do real research mm-hmm. because it the people the authors who had written about it at the time they it was clear that they hadn't spent a lot of time exploring that area because uh, just to give you an example there were always rumors of a a phantom house and people would talk about seeing this phantom farmhouse at various places and it would kind of move around and several authors said you know there's no evidence that a house ever existed there well if you actually go there and walk along the trail the trail leading to the, the cemetery used to be a road, and that's sort of how it got got started, is that um, kids would go and drive there and and uh, drink and make out, and they would tell stories and, you know, the, the hook hand story and everything <laughs> like that. That's how it got famous to begin with. 
But if you walk off the trail several feet, well, there's a house foundation there, and there's an old well, and broken pottery, and, you know, there's all kinds of evidence that a house was around. Mm -hmm. uh, so after people started getting a little bit more sophisticated, uh, that information came out online. I remember one, one website, um, bachelorsgrove.com. I'm not sure it's even up anymore, but um, that guy did a lot of research on it and brought that information to the internet. Um, but he later got embroiled in this, this drama too. Um, and that kind of imploded a lot of people's uh, careers, I would say. But that was a long time ago. I mean, that was like maybe 15 years ago that that all happened. So I'm not sure today what's going on over there. Uh, you mentioned that there was a, a fence. Mm -hmm. And there was a fence there. But every time that I visited, um, the gate had been knocked over. The gate was removed, so uh, they probably probably fenced it off. They, I'm sure they only allow people in there during certain times, because you're you're technically not even supposed to go in there because it's it's the forest preserve property, yeah. Um, and they they maintain it and everything. Although I know it is a law in Illinois that um, if you have relatives buried at a cemetery, you have to be allowed you, access. You, yeah, you have to be allowed access. Um, so I never saw anything unusual there um, personally, but a lot of times we would go during the day. Um, there's a a famous photograph uh, of a woman sitting on a headstone that was taken in infrared. Um, you may have seen it, yeah. but uh, it's controversial. I, I personally think it's a fake. Um, because you can see a shadow under her, but other people have tried to to explain that away. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's what I know about it pretty much. It's. Do you think it could become that popular and that revered without there being something to it? No, I think there's something to it. Uh, people, basically any any type of ghostly phenomenon that you can think of has been reported there. Yeah. From phantom houses, apparitions, ghost lights. There's uh, supposedly a phantom of somebody with a plow that got pulled into the lagoon there. There's like noises people hear. There's lights in the woods. Uh anything like that I mean it's it's hard for so many people to just make up sightings like that you know what I mean like I know some of it is probably um, probably just repeating what they've heard elsewhere but when you have so many different eyewitnesses mm -hmm. that come forward uh, I believe um, Dale Kazmarek who's a local uh, paranormal investigator he's been doing it for for decades uh, he documented all the different sightings of this phantom house over the years and it's a lot of people that have seen it so there must be something going on there 
Yeah. Isn't that strange that that the the house would appear in in various different locations throughout there? You know, you well, would I'm think sure. if something was going to phantom materialize, you would think that it would be on the base of of its original foundation. It's just strange. Well, that there was at least uh, there was at least two houses there. Were there? So it could have been more than one. Uh, I I personally have seen uh, two wells out there. There may be a third that I've seen pictures of. Um, so there probably I mean there is evidence that there were multiple structures in the woods there at one time. So like at this time you're, it's it's early in your career. Um, you're still a, a relatively young man. At any point, did you did you ever get the bug to start um, researching the paranormal, or has documenting that always just been your forte? Well, that's a good question. Um, have you ever read the book? The Last Laugh by Raymond Moody. No, I haven't. So, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody was the doctor who originally publicized near-death experiences. And he there he wrote a bunch of very famous books. Um, one of them was called Life After Life. And uh, The Last Laugh was his final book that he put out. And it lays out a whole philosophy of the paranormal that I've kind of adhered to my, my whole life. And that is basically that there's, there's always been this back and forth between um, three groups of people, skeptics, um, religious fundamentalists, and people trying to prove that the paranormal is real. Um, and they go round and round with each other. They do the talk show circuit and argue about the, the issue. But he kind of put out a fourth way of seeing things, which is, he called it playful paranormalism, where the goal is to have fun with it and just sort of explore it for what it is in, in art, in literature, you know, film, culture, stories. And that's, that's the way that I've always approached it. So um, I've never really been interested in doing scientific research of the paranormal. Um, to me, like, I, I'd be very sad if we did all this research and found out that the paranormal just doesn't exist and there's nothing to it, you know? Yeah. To, to me, that would, that would just sort of undermine my entire life, my entire interest <laughs> in this subject. And so... So I'm more into um, you enjoy it for studying what it is, it. <clears throat> right? Yeah, I I don't want to prove or disprove it. I just I enjoy reading about it, learning, um, yeah, and all, all those different cultural aspects. So, what are some of the other more? Um, I don't know that it would necessarily be recognizable to people, but some of the more impactful. Um, stories that you've heard from from the area uh from illinois or virginia yeah, yeah. 
Um, so from Illinois, I would have to say that uh, the most impactful for me probably has been the stories around um, Coles County, where I, I went to college. And I, I guess I, I could say that in all my years of reaching, researching that area, even though I live in another state, I'm still like obsessed with it and try to, to get out there as much as I can. They have, per capita, they have to have the most ghost stories of anywhere. Uh, Chicago has a lot of them, but it's a big city, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, Coles County, we're talking about a population of maybe at most 40,000 people and 10,000 of which are college students. Uh, there's I've documented at least a dozen or more haunted places and ghost stories from that area. And it, it, it is interesting to me to find out whether that p particular place is just so unique or maybe... Every county has that many stories, but just nobody's ever bothered to look into it before. Yeah, and I was you know. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you just said. Um, I guess what is the um, what is the fervor of the community as far as as far as that goes? Does does that community kind of revel in the fact that you know are they are they behind it you know there's there was a uh, very close to me Dwajak, michigan uh back in 1964 um there was a sighting of a, a tall hairy creature that uh, ended up becoming known as the dewey lake monster um, by all accounts it was a description of a bigfoot um and, and the community, till this day, the community is, I mean, it's a small rental, uh, several little lakes in a very small area. Um, you know, they're reliant on, on people coming and renting cottages through the summer and stuff like that. But, you know, over 57, 58 years, 59 years, whatever it has been, um, the community is just 100% still behind uh keeping the 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 information at hand and you know local businesses all have you know their trinkets and their um their their toys and and stuff like that that uh it just keeps it going so i wonder you know like in that area that you're talking about does the community kind of do they revel in the fact that they're known uh, short short answer is no really they do not. <laughs> so, I've I've dealt with I've dealt with some pushback from my research, oh, um, I but I also I also have um, many contacts in the community who I still talk to, who tell me about um, certain things over the years. There's a couple of famous sites there. Uh, of course, the Pemberton Hall. The um, the legend of Mary Hawkins is the big one. Ashmore Estates is big. Uh, the Mad Gasser Mattoon, a lot of people have heard about that. Uh, but then there's also some lesser known ones 
there's um, Ragdoll Cemetery, there's St. Omer Cemetery, where a witch is supposedly buried. And there's been numerous attempts over the years for people to come in and do documentaries or do episodes on different places. And they've been flat out told no, that the cemetery trustees don't want anybody in there you know, don't want people sniffing around. Yeah. And for, for some pretty good reasons, because sure. in the past, people have vandalized those places. Um, some of the things are kind of unsavory. Uh, there's Airtight Bridge in Coles County where um, a woman, there's a famous unsolved murder where a woman's uh, dismembered torso is found near the bridge in 1980. And that murder went unsolved until, um, I want to say, 2014. So it was, yeah, it was unsolved for about 25 years. And, you know, a a community like that, they just don't, they don't want that to be everything that people think of when they think of Coles County, you know, or these negative events. Um, So I can kind of understand that, but there's... There's a religious component to it, too. I mean, there's a lot of very um, very strongly religious people there that don't like talking about that subject. Um, so, yeah, there, there is a lot of pushback, I think, in the community. But then there's people that really enjoy it and um, people who love going, visiting the places and will tell me stories. And um, that the book that I wrote about it, Tales of Coles County, uh, has sold pretty well, so there there is some interest in it. It's interesting you, you that you bring that up uh, as far as you know, like people going in and and doing things to the the property because um, just north of me, um, probably less than a ten minute drive, um, there is a, a a fairly sizable cemetery for uh, a town that's uh, just up over the state line in Michigan. And uh, I had lived there for for some years when I was married and had kids. My kids went to school up there. And uh, when I was a younger man, you know, I I, I knew a group of kids who who hung out in Niles, and uh, you know, we'd go on a Friday night or Saturday night. We'd get our cars washed up and waxed up, and we'd roll our windows down and start playing music really loud, and you know, just drive drive, 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 you know, just, just go cruising. And, uh, back at that time there were, uh, uh, you didn't have to go very far to hear about the stories of a witch that was buried in that cemetery. And it's unfortunate. I understand the, I understand the interest in it, but, um, a lot of t- there were a lot of a lot of people went in there and you know basically desecrated ground, um, thinking that they had found the uh, the resting place of this supposed witch and you know turned over tombstones. They spray painted mausoleums and and all that stuff. So I certainly understand a a, a small community not wanting that to to be what they're known for. So, um, folklorists actually have a name for that, and I'm trying to find it right now. 
Uh, it's been a while since I last referenced it, but the idea of it is basically that um, people who go to these legend sites, it's called legend tripping, um, sometimes it, it results in a frenzy of destructive activity. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's something that you've seen there. That's something they've seen in Coles County. Um, yeah, I wish I could find that term for you because it's, it's not something that most people have probably ever heard of. Yeah, I was... Yeah. I wouldn't even begin to know what, what that was. <laughs> I'll come back to it if I can find it. Let's, okay. let's move on. All right. Um, so where do we go from here? Are we, you still... Uh, are we still in Illinois, or have you started to make your way across the U.S. to the to the more eastern side? Yeah, I've been in Virginia now for about uh, four years, and so I started Secret Virginia to kind of um, continue my work, continue my research, and sort of look at it from a number of different angles, uh, like. Um, photography, for example, um, videography on YouTube, uh, podcast. Uh, I, I've actually, I don't do the podcast myself. I, um, I write the script and I, I hired a voice actor to, to portray this character that I created, uh, Morella Bell, who's this, this sort of ambiguously aged Southern Bell that, you know, you're not quite sure how long she's been around or if she's she's even still alive or not, but yeah. she kind of tells the <laughs> stories of the locations. And I do some um, fictional stories. I've published a couple of uh, kind of ghost stories set in Virginia uh, on YouTube and stuff like that. So uh, it's kind of an interesting way to look at all of these places. Very interesting. That, that's a that's a unique uh, unique take on it. I like it. Yeah, uh, Virginia has, of course, it's been around for a long time. You know, it's one of the oldest states in the country, so it has a lot of ghost stories. But there aren't, there isn't a big community here like there is elsewhere. Uh, I, at least not that I found um, in Illinois 15 years ago there were dozens of groups paranormal groups they would have conferences uh, and I just don't really see that around here which is kind of interesting it, it must be a, like a cultural thing hmm. so you you bring up Virginia, and with Virginia, um, that puts you relatively close um, to a, a specific mountain range that runs through um, that part of the country, the Appalachians, and with with the advent of TV series like Hellier and uh dark holler and um the the appalachians have have gotten a new modern um 
reputation for being um, paranormal, creepy, a um, lot of weird stuff going on there. Uh, I've, I've talked to people that say um, in certain areas along that range that um, the old the old gods, little G gods like Pan and Lilith and, and some of the other uh, less desirable uh, um, entities are, are still um, pretty um, pretty ingrained into the people that live there. Um, now, I don't know if that's true or if that is uh, you know designed to uh, elicit, uh, a specific response from people in these shows. What have you found about uh, being in that area? Is there is there like some darkness, some weirdness that goes on in the in the Appalachians? I, I think there is. Uh, let me take a moment here because I found the term. Oh, did you? It's it's ostensive frenzy. So, uh, ostension is the acting out of a legend. At a site. So when people go and visit the witch's graves, there'll be some ritual or leaving a coin or something like that. But uh, ostensive frenzy is the phrase for when um, people become destructive and vandalize the the location and stuff like that. Hmm. So to answer your question, um, Appalachia is predominantly settled by the descendants of the Scots-Irish people. Right. And when I was doing my uh, research for one of my recent books, um, Witchcraft in Illinois, which kind of traces the the history, it's a cultural history of witchcraft practices in Illinois. And what I found was that the Scots-Irish people that settled in the Appalachian area and uh, a lot of them came over in the early days of Illinois settlement. Uh, a lot of them came out to the, the prairie, but they were, um, I would say, the largest group to have beliefs about witchcraft. A lot of the other groups, when you think of like what, what's the famous cases of witchcraft in, in the United States, it's Salem, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the New Englanders... In the 1800s, they had abandoned their beliefs in witchcraft. But the people who settled in the Appalachian wilderness, they were very superstitious, and they never gave up those beliefs. And they had um, a tradition of what are called witch masters, which were kind of like, kind of like early doctors, but they also combated. Um, curses and hexes and things like that really um so that whole region is just replete with tales like that and it's it's kind of a wild wilderness as it is you know so it excites the the imagination um so i would say you definitely you have these old communities there that have been there for generations um plenty of time for for local legends to to be developed um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that it, that area has that reputation. So what are some of the, uh, one of the, some of the more 
um, well-known haunts or legends in the uh, in the Virginia area. Well, the first one that comes to mind is Bunny Man Bridge. That's a Northern Virginia legend in Fairfax County. And it really, I think it's become so well-known just because it's unusual. And there's there's even a Bunny Man Brewery where they um, have branded it and sell like their own brands of beer and stuff. Mm. So people have fun with it. But it's also based on a real event. So Oh, really? The bridge is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And it's one of these places where people would drive their car out to at night and they would see if they can walk from one end of the bridge to the other. Uh, it's a tunnel bridge, so it's like a cement bridge that you would drive through. And there's a old railroad track above it, but that, I don't think that a train runs on there anymore. And it's out in the middle of nowhere on this like dead-end road. So, of course, it's like the perfect place for people to go and scare themselves. And so it's become hugely popular, but a lot of people don't know that it was based on a real event. Uh, I believe it was in 1970 in October, there were a couple of people, uh, not even near the bridge, it was, um, they were parked on a road nearby, and some guy who was wearing a bunny costume or bunny ears or something like that, he attacked their car with a hatchet and he actually threw the hatchet and it, it busted into their windshield and the, the hatchet is on display. If you go to a Wikipedia, you can see a picture of it, but you can also go and look in like newspapers.com and read all the original articles about the event uh, so it was just weird and then that blew up and all over that area northern virginia dc maryland people were seeing this bunny man that year and it became like it just kind of blew up and got out of control and that story took on a life of its own and just now there's uh, there's a supposedly an insane asylum involved. You know, the guy was an escaped um, inmate from the asylum, and the bus that he was on crashed by the bridge, and he murdered all the people on the bus, and it, just all kinds of like crazy stories like that. Where did he get the bunny costume? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have no idea. Like why that original person decided to wear that. Uh, I, the first time I heard of this legend was on one of the earliest kind of paranormal reality TV. I think it was called Destination Fear or something like that, where it was on MTV. It was Fear. Fear, something like that, yeah. yeah. And yeah, they, they would have like, college kids yep. go out there and they you know see how scared they got how crazy um. that you would bring that up because just last weekend uh i went out with my daughter and her boyfriend they were in town and we started talking about it on the way back to the house and you know they were both they were both just 
little kids when it when it came out so you know obviously they weren't watching it at the time but when we got back to the house i was actually able to find three or four episodes of it um on youtube and yeah it was one of the first ones it was actually a it was probably one of the best programs that was ever on mtv (laughs) before they started (laughs) with the the jersey shore and and all the other goofy uh shows that they had but yeah i knew it sounded familiar and now that you bring that up it's like that's got to be where i heard of it because i can't really think of ever coming across it reading about anything but that's crazy yeah and it's just so unusual you know it just kind of stands out in your mind so in your in your research as far as you know putting this down on paper um were you able to come up with, you know, like some of the truths of, you know, did a did a guy escape from a prison or a insane asylum or? No, the the uh, asylum that they're referring to in the story wasn't even wasn't even built at the time, and the the bridge was was built after the event supposedly took place. So there's just. The, the legend part of it is just filled with the details that don't add up, you know, that uh, yeah. have no historical basis. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm glad that nobody was killed and butchered by the bunny man, but it, that is kind yeah. of a bummer. I was hoping that there would be something to that. Yeah. <laughs> Although there, there was, uh, unfortunately, somebody, I believe somebody who was murdered in the woods there, uh, which is sort of a weird uh, aspect to a lot of these places I found in Virginia. The the, the like the haunted bridges. There's one uh, Crawford Road bridge that's out by Colonial Williamsburg, and there were actually uh, like three murders in the woods nearby. Um, there's another cemetery that's close to where I live that. Uh, Supposedly, there's like a witch buried there. It's one of these witches' graves, and there's a pond. But um, they found a, a dead body there too. So there's there's this uh, weird association around here with real life horrible events and these sort of legendary places. Isn't that strange? You know, I, sometimes I wonder you know some of these people that are prone to um doing dastardly things like you know committing a murder um are they influenced or not necessarily i'm not saying that the the legends have created their actions that's not what i'm getting at but you know is it is it so ingrained in the local community that, you know, does that pop into somebody's head? Well, I'm just going to dump the body out by the bridge because that's haunted anyway, you know? Yeah. So it has a reputation of being a bad place, quote unquote. And it it could just be that there, these places are all in isolated locations where a murderer might find it convenient to, or, maybe they're drawn to it somehow because of the reputation. Uh, it's like a chicken and the egg type of situation. Yeah. 
are there any like in virginia the area you're in now are there any um are there any areas that just are a plethora for stories that would make you uh, kind of associate it with um, the town that you went to to school in um, you know a number of a number of different things going on they can't all not be true I would have to say Colonial Williamsburg. Uh, I think that really captures people's imagination because it's it's a living history museum, but it's also a real town, and there's a university there. So it's, it is a place where people live and experience things day to day, but in the old town the old part of Williamsburg where they've tried to like preserve what it looked like in the colonial days pretty much every building there is supposed to be haunted um, they, they have like three or four different ghost tours whole books have been written about it um, pretty good books actually that I I haven't owned some of them but uh, yeah I mean pretty much any any building there is haunted um there's a the peyton randolph house is pretty well known um peyton randolph was one of the founding fathers who actually if you count the presidents of the continental congress as our presidents he was actually one one of the first presidents of, of the colonial government or whatever you want to call it interesting um so even before George Washington, but then, but he died before we won our independence. So n pretty much nobody's ever heard of him, even yeah. though he was like this really prominent figure in the revolutionary circle. Uh, but his house is supposed to be extremely haunted. And a lot of the structures, some of them are original, some of them are partially original, and some are reconstructions, but even the reconstructions are supposed to be on it. Um, so go figure. I'm not sure, I'm not sure <laughs> how that works, but maybe the ghosts were drawn back to them because it looked familiar. Um, but the, it's a beautiful little town with like cobblestone sidewalks and um, yeah, I mean per capita, it's got to have the most ghost stories I think of anywhere in Virginia. In any of your works, have you um, put together anything that would be like a semblance of a guide for people? You know, if they uh, if they were interested in looking into some haunted history while they were on vacation, or you know, deciding to plan a trip and were into looking into paranormal type stuff, uh, do you have a do you have a roadmap of of sorts that uh, would help people with making decisions? Um, not yet. I'm currently compiling information um, to do something like that. I had a, a book on Illinois called uh, Haunting Illinois, and it was exactly that. It was like a, a county by county, city by city guide to like pretty much every haunted place that I collected over the years. And I, I like to do something like that about Virginia. And I've... Uh, I've got a database going of, I think it's over 300 places right now wow. 
that are that are supposed to be haunted and those are all like legitimate in a sense that they've all been written about in a book so I'm sure there's more out there too I, I haven't even scratched the surface of combing through all the different books and everything that have been written about Virginia so eventually I'm planning on probably publishing a book like that like a guide to all these places their address the the problem is in Virginia a lot of them are privately owned so I'm a little leery about that in my book on Illinois only a few were like private residences but in Virginia a lot of the haunted places are private homes or they're they're like historic homes and plantation homes that are are just privately owned and they probably wouldn't appreciate a bunch of people showing up at <laughs> sure. their door you know yeah. so i'm not sure about the the legality of all that or or how i want to approach that yet but there there might be something in the pipelines in the future out of everything that you've researched out of all the stories that you've collected what's the one that you think has the most credibility behind it as being something's actually going on there wow that's wow that's quite a question <laughs> um i would have to say and of course, the more I think about it, probably I would think of other things. But in in Chicago, there's the ghost of Resurrection Mary. It's a very famous story. It was on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, and that's been researched for years and years and years. It's a hitchhiking ghost. So a lot of elements of the story are urban legends or folklore that have been picked up and transmitted around the United States. Like, I'm sure you've heard a similar story of a guy who picks up a hitchhiker and drops her off somewhere and, like, leaves something in the car. So he returns the next day and um, an old lady answers the door and when he describes the girl to her, she says oh, that's my daughter, but she died, you know, two years ago or something like yeah. that. That's all in the story, too, baked in there. But around, like, a kernel of truth, if you will, surrounded by all that folklore that's been retold and retold and retold over the years, I think that there is something going on because her ghost has been reported by dozens of people for decades, like since the 1930s, people have been talking about this. Oh, wow. So, when we talked about earlier, where you have multiple eyewitnesses over the years reporting basically the same thing, you know, they all pretty much describe like a young blonde woman wearing a similar outfit. The details change, but the, the core of it is pretty pretty similar um i think it's it's hard to discount that i agree i agree uh, I, I find that um you know my show i cover 
anything that's fringe topics. Um, Fortian. So, you know, with Bigfoot, um, is Bigfoot hard to wrap your head around? Yeah, kind of. Um, but the vast number of sightings and reporting the uh, reports that have been, you know, handed into a number of different uh, collection agencies uh, that deal with reports of, of Bigfoot sightings, um, they can't all be fake. They can't. And uh, I, I, th- I think when you, when you have a, a, a haunted location, And it spans decades of of reports. I think you have to. I have to. I think you have to lend some credence to that. Uh, yeah. Well, there's two two points. Uh, there was a talk show host that said something about Bigfoot that I, that kind of resonated with me. I'm not big into Bigfoot. You know, I'm more into like the paranormal stuff. Sure. But he brought up the fact that North America is the only continent in the world that doesn't have a great ape mm-hmm. and how weird that is. So maybe there is one that people are seeing, but it's just very reclusive. Um, the, other, the other point would be that uh, one of the things that I did study in Illinois are mountain lions or panthers. They call them panthers. For years, people had stories of panther sightings in in rural areas of Illinois. Well, the Department of Natural Resources, <laughs> they claimed that that doesn't exist. Right. For decades, they said, panthers are extinct in this part of the country. There's no way that anybody's seeing them. It was this wild legend, this myth that people were talking about. Until people started putting up door cams and trail cams everywhere, and suddenly you actually got videos of panthers roaming around Illinois, or people would shoot them, and you know I've actually seen pictures of people who who had shot a panther and it was in the bed of their truck, Um, so it became impossible to deny after a while. Of course, Bigfoot's kind of different because nobody's ever photographed a corpse that was turned out to be legitimate but none that has ever made it to the light of day anyway right so who knows uh you know maybe maybe all these stories over the years eventually they'll be proven uh legitimate well you know when and not to get off topic but when you go and and you look at the vast number of native americans first nations tribes that all have references to these things in their um, in their lore, in their you know, it, it transcends modern day, nineteen sixty, uh, nineteen fifty eight, fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty when um, Jerry Crew and and then the Gimlin uh, Patterson Gimlin film came. Uh, in 67 i think it was uh, off the top of my head but um i mean you're you're we're talking about hundreds of years 
that these oral traditions of these things have permeated first nations tribes um yeah to me that that is uh that's something that i pay a lot of attention to the the first nation stories and i i firmly believe that i think they're there i think they are um and i used to say that before i died i hope that they prove that ufos are real well according to our government um they've now done that so i guess i'll move on and say that i hope because i'm already a firm believer in uh, uh ghosts and and paranormal stuff because i had experience with my um with the my dad after he had passed away so that is that's a that's sealed that's a done deal for me i I don't have to be convinced of that Um, but now i think i'm going to switch and say before i die i hope they have a body (laughs) i hope there is i hope there is a super clear non-blurry image that is irrefutable that these things do exist because i believe they do so Michael, I want to thank you uh, so much for for taking your evening and spending it with me. Uh, it's been a it's been an enjoyable conversation. I know you got a lot of things uh, in your uh, in your repertoire <laughs> as far as um, content that's available. If you would please just kind of run through the names of your books and where they're available, where they can get them, whether or not you have a website, you tell people where to find you on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Sure. Um, any, you can go on my website, michaelclean.com. That's K-L-E-E-N. And all my books are listed on there. Um, my books are, most of them are on Amazon, uh, Witchcraft in Illinois was my latest. It came out in 2017. Uh, Tales of Coles County, if you want to read about all the, the weird and wild stuff going on in Coles County. Um, and Secret Virginia is my newest project. So any like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, everywhere. Secret Virginia, that's just... That's the... Uh, the handle that I go by on everything now. Um, so that's where most of my work is. Um, and I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to really talk about this stuff with somebody. Um, so I, I appreciate it. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a, I had a lot of fun talking to you and, uh, I'm interested in, in what you got coming up next. Um, do me a favor, work on that roadmap because uh, within a couple of years here, I think I'm going to have some free time on my hands that uh, I'm going to want to go check out all these haunted places and look at the the legends and lore of these areas. Yeah, that would be great. I'll definitely keep you up to speed. All right, sir. Once again, Michael Clean. Go check out his website. Pick up a couple of his books. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Well, that's it for tonight's show. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Michael, Mr. Clean, K-L-E-E-N. Show this guy some love. Head over to his website, michaelclean.com. Again, that's K-L-E-E-N. 
check out his efforts. He's got several books. There's a lot of information over there. Again, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. If you have a story or an experience that you would like to have aired on the show, please get a hold of me at contact at uncomfortable at gmail.com. Even if you don't want to be on the show, if you want to share a story and have it read on the show by me, you can do that as well. Make sure to share the show in any way you can. That's what grows a podcast like this. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with coworkers. That's the main thing you can do to help continue to grow this show and get it out in front of more people. Thank you for joining me. I will see you next week, hopefully with a more stable voice. As always, my friends, stay uncomfortable.